Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about student loan forgiveness. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So on a rather fun note to open this episode up, I'm going to talk fun? about... Yeah, I know. I'm always like doom and gloom, climate change, ah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the James Webb Space Telescope that launched about eight months ago. This telescope is quite literally seeing things we have never seen before. It's able to peer back in time due to light to about a billion years after the Big Bang, which is when our universe started. And what it's seeing is actually puzzling astronomers. In the early onset of the universe, it is generally assumed that galaxies did not have enough time to form stars and structure, making for rather small and perhaps misshapen galaxies. However, the Webb telescope is capturing images of massively structured galaxies, which astronomers note do not fit the models of what we thought we knew. Oh my God, humans were wrong. (laughs) Part of our assumption actually came from the Hubble Space Telescope. But since it only saw visible light and maybe a little more on the electromagnetic spectrum, it missed many, many other stars in in these galaxies. And that's where the Webb telescope comes in with its ability to see a much broader spectrum of light, including infrared light. The Webb telescope was also able to identify a planet with a carbon dioxide atmosphere dubbed WASP-39b. It is, quote, the first definitive detection of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere of an exoplanet. This planet's about 700 light years away from Earth. Ooh. Terrell, this telescope is quite literally outputting so much data so fast that scientists are scrambling just to interpret what we are seeing. This is genuinely genuinely one of the coolest things we have made in recent memory. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It's funny you bring that up because um, I was recently having a conversation with a friend who went and saw an aviation museum out in Caldwell. I'm sure you know more about this than I do because I'm not an Idahoan. Um, but anyway, they were looking at old World War II planes. And I noted how insane it is to recognize how much technology has changed, specifically in military, um, and how us as consumers don't necessarily get to see that. Like our our current commercial flights are still very emblematic of the sixties. Um, I mean, look at air force one, air force one hasn't really had a major update since the late eighties. So it's really interesting to hear about all of this and see those things as a, a small science nerd and just see technology's impact on our understanding of the universe around us, especially because this new telescope isn't relegated or um, stifled by just visible light, but can use infrared to get a deeper understanding of just how old and dynamic the universe really is. Yeah, it's pretty freaking incredible. Like, I feel like every week we're getting more stories uh, just about these different discoveries we're making and like photos of it too. And I'm just, I don't know, I nerd out during those You stories. nerd never. All right, moving on. In a follow-up from our continued coverage of how the Florida don't say gay law that pa- that they you passed just said gay. Year. You're gonna interrupt every story. I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> I probably will. But you just said gay. It said don't say that word. Don't say gay. Um, that the Florida legislature passed earlier this spring is beginning to take effect in terrible but not shocking or unpredictable ways. The Sarasota County School District, which covers 62 schools and roughly 42,000 students has quietly adopted new policy guidelines for this school year that would require staff and teachers 
teachers to out students to their parents if they are out at school or requested or requested to be called a different pronoun than that of the gender they were assigned at birth. Um, we love the Republicans. Yeah, Jesus. Craig Maniglia, who I, I hope I didn't butcher that name too bad, the communications director for the district, told the Sarasota Herald Tribune that Superintendent Brendan Aspel created the guidelines without a board vote to comply with Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act, popularly known as the Don't Say Gay Law, which took effect You said it in again. July. I'm going to keep saying it because I don't give a shit. <laughs> it is important to point out that this policy in reference to gay cisgender students goes a step farther than the provisions of the law that the law require. The law required such an action for, for students who identified and used pronouns different than their assigned gender at birth, but did not include that requirement for students who are cisgender and identify as gay, bisexual, or lesbian. A document obtained by the local NPR affiliate in Sarasota shows the school's guidance on how it should be handled, stating, after receiving any such request, staff must immediately notify the child's parents or guardians. If they refuse consent for staff to respect the child's wishes, quote, staff will not utilize the preferred name and or pronouns. If consent is issued, the school will schedule a conference with the student, their guardians, administration, and a guidance counselor to implement the district's gender support plan. Before this year, the same county had maintained the policy that, quote, it is up to the student and the student alone to share their his, her, their identity. So we have consistently co been covering this, and it does seem to be coming to fruition in all the worst ways that we kind of discussed and predicted on the show. I just want to like get your thoughts about um, kind of what you're observing from this, Terrell, and maybe we can have a little bit of a conversation about what the fuck. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, I thoughtfully take a pause here because I'm trying not to rage or let my emotions impact this. Um, we can't ignore the fact that the conservative party is on an all out assault against children. And I use a conservative party very thoughtfully not calling them Republicans because I, I do think we need to start separating the two where the conservative party is, is a far right white neo-Christian extremist organization where Republicans are, is a hodgepodge of individuals who are fiscally conservative, but really don't care about social issues or individuals who are stuck in the Reagan days and think that those were great, but don't fully understand the social issues. I do think we need to start separating those two because this, <laughs> speaking Frank, this is bullshit. Um, in our last episode, we highlighted the TikTok creator, um, Angie Mama Duke. And that's, I think she's a great emblematic reason for trying to drive that separation is where this party has moved due to their fear of being relegated to nothingness as our culture, as our people start to become more diverse and start to understand who they are and start to feel comfortable with who they are is not emblematic of every Republican that exists in this country. And some of our more far left Listeners might get really annoyed that I provide that kind of cover for them, but I do think it's important. I do think we need to break this 
tribal mentality that just because you are a Republican, you have to buy into these. I, I know plenty of people, the creator that I highlighted, um, who don't. That being said, if Florida is to reelect DeSantis as governor, I will completely and totally listen to a movement to remove Florida from this country. They are a cancer. They are a disease if they continue to move along those lines. And the idea that you can overlook the fact that a single governor is actively forcing children to have to come out, to have to have a conference with their parents, to have to be re-traumatized by teachers not using their appropriate pronouns, to put families in a situation where they accept their child, but now they're being demonized by a school district is categorically in just... Words cannot describe how angry I am just listening and and knowing that that is a thing. And again, after having this whole conversation about tribalism, yes, I don't want to lump all Floridians into one camp, but we we have to be more assertive in stopping this kind of rhetoric and this kind of movement. I mean, this is what fascists do. Exactly. You start to, you know, start to, you start to separate people based on things that you don't agree with. You start to blame people. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And in history, you know, we've seen this many times before. It's like, you know, we look in the history books and we go, oh, yeah, like, obviously, we know what happened. Like, this is this was the beginning of it. That's what's happening right now. And it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it feels like there should be a lot more worry about this because this is exactly what a lot of uh, Republican leaders are doing right now. Yeah. Ron DeSantis being... One of them, and maybe one of the more Greg Avenders. But I was going to say, only Florida you'd support to get out. Of- well, I like, I think there's hope like with look. other. I think there's hope with other states, right? We had this whole conversation around polls um, and this Democratic optimism. I highlighted the um, the creator Mama Dukes to or Angie Mama Dukes to be very thoughtful. Of I think Texas might have a real shot to elect. Uh, Beto O'Rourke because there is a real conversation around that. What I don't hear in Florida is the concerted effort to really say this is not who we are. Yeah, and while it doesn't feel like we have someone dedicated, like we have like Stacey Abrams who's dedicated to Georgia, we have Beto who's dedicated to Texas. Where's that person in Florida? Look at South Carolina with the rise of um, the chair of the DNC, Jamie. Like I can speak to some of these spaces of. There's a movement like look at Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. He's currently one of the most vulnerable Republicans going into the um, elections this midterm because he's been running on this message. Look at what happened in New York's 19th district running on abortion. You saw a bellwether district that can some it's very purple overwhelmingly overwhelmingly is an overstatement, but vote for the Democratic candidate because they care about these issues. What I struggle with with Florida, even though the Democrats just elected or just um, put up on the ballot from their primary, a former governor who was a Republican, there is a struggle in that state to not see this as problematic and antithetical to everything that this country was ever supposed to represent. And I can't ignore my bias here, right, of being African-American queer male, while my male privilege gives me the opportunity to move around society and not think about a lot of these things, 
I can't help but recognize the same kind of treatment that you, that I assume, or that I heard from my parents. Why am I pretending like I'm assuming that I heard from my parents <laughs> by being African Americans in the sixties, going to school and being treated differently. I can't pretend like I don't walk around the streets in, um, my current city in crop tops and constantly feel eyes on me or notice as people snicker. Like, why is that guy wearing a crop top? His like, this is not, this is not who we should be. This is not who we are. This is not who we should model. And the reason I can harp on Florida is because I don't feel like they even know what a true America looks like anymore. I just like, with Florida, I'm sure there's a lot of people like yeah. Democratic Party or just a nonprofits that are trying to fight to turn Florida. I really do. 100%. And like, you know, kudos to them because I don't know if I want to go to Florida and ever try to do that. I'll be honest. I mean, look at the work we're doing in Idaho. Like, it's the same, right? Yeah. But there is a difference there of it's just I do think in Idaho, while there's some problematic things happening in the state, you do have a governor that is running on education that called out the library bill that was going to um, punish and send librarians to jail if they gave out quote unquote pornographic material to children when those materials were just books about LGBTQ characters. So again, I, I find myself finding validation for certain States, Northern South Dakota, meh, Kansas, meh. But Florida specifically, I really am starting to struggle to say, why is there hope here? What What is happening? This this once purple state has turned more ruby red than your Texas and your Idaho. And it's genuinely concerning. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just like, like this is, I mean, you're literally taking away the freedom to just be a person, mm -hmm. right? Like, and that's what America's all about, right? I don't know. Like, even if we haven't lived up to our, our ideals in the past, like. The goal is that we progress to live up to them in the future. I don't understand. Well, maybe I do understand why. Well, I don't understand why people think this way, but it's happening. Also, you do. Uh, yeah. Like, look, look, like. We just can't elect people who are going to take actual freedoms away. Like, if people, you know, I I don't want to go to school and, like, something that's personal to me is just blasted out and then I'm persecuted for it. And that is what's going on. Like, you think about this in your own shoes. Like, I don't know, think about your deepest, darkest secret. It's not the same thing. It's not. But what if you go to school and people, the state is actively trying to get right into your personal life? This is the hypocrisy of the Republican Party. First of all, it's fascist, but the Republican Party has always been the party of, oh, limited government, ah, too much government. Now the state is actively trying to find out some of the most personal things about you and out them to the entire world. They are trying to get into your personal life yeah. and monitor you and persecute you based off that. That is what's going on here. So, I mean, it's only going to get worse unless we actively fight against it and elect people who are going to respect our personal choices, our personal freedoms and celebrate it. And that's one of the reasons we started this podcast too, right? Is I think for a lot of years, it was easy to separate politics from different spaces. But as we've moved through a pandemic, as we move through one of 
I feel comfortable saying this, the worst presidencies of all time. It's important for our listeners to know and anyone who's involved in anything in life to recognize how politics impacts everything. When we're talking about these things in Florida, it's important to know that every one of Ron DeSantis's um, nominees for the school board won by overwhelming majority. It's important to recognize that these are not one-off instances. These are glimpses into the future. And if we on Dangerously Likely can be the ones to lift these up and highlight how we should move forward um, and keep these present, it's very important. Let's check out the international fold. Continuing our coverage on the Ukraine-Russian war, now six months into the conflict, the world is desperately searching for opportunities to de-escalate the standstill between both countries um, that they're finding themselves in. In an announcement on Monday, Ukrainian military officials um, say that they're planning to launch a southern offensive aimed at retaking territories um, seized by Russia. Officials also claimed that they have a few wins behind Russian lines in the region, destroying a large military base, but this is yet to be verified by any major news outlets, um, still significant in highlighting the mounting losses for Putin in the region. International groups are continuing to seek options for diminishing Russia's capacity as we watch Iranian ships provide drones to Russia. The European Union weighs restricting visas for Russians to make it more difficult for them to obtain visas and freely travel inside the bloc. This debate is anticipated to begin on Tuesday in Prague, but comes as sanctions continue to not force the action many expected from the Kremlin um, and with a lot of individuals in the bloc opposing a quote-unquote collective punishment. Meanwhile, the International Atomic Energy Agency, a part of the United Nations, was dispatched to Ukraine to check out the nuclear power plant that has been in the headlines a lot lately, um, inspecting it and providing some ease to global nations and individuals who are alarmed of a potential nuclear catastrophe. We at Dangerously Likely will continue to follow the conflict taking place in Ukraine and update you as we learn more. Check out our Facebook and Twitter pages for updates throughout the week. Other top stories from around the world, but pay attention, you may notice a pressing and urgent theme. After unprecedented flash floods caused by historic monsoon rains, Pakistan is estimating the disaster, which has impacted over 15% of their population and killed at least 1,136 people, will cost more than $10 billion. More than 100,000 people were forced to move to safer ground on Monday as flash flood warnings impacted southwest China. This area has been devastated by a once-in-a-lifetime heat wave and drought throughout the summer. That very heat wave has dried up rivers and lakes um, and has placed their power grids under immense strain. And lastly, after a fifth effort to pass a global agreement to protect the world's oceans and marine life, um, we saw the United Nations fail to get that amendment across as governments could not agree on the terms. Not to be an alarmist, but scientists have warned for nearly two decades now, we are heading to the point of no return. Now, these headlines are becoming our new normal. And we'll be right back. 
And we're back with Dangerously Likely. Last week, President Biden, fulfilling a campaign promise, announced his long-awaited student loan forgiveness plan, which would cancel billions in student debt and positively affect tens of millions of Americans. Here are the details. Individuals who are single and earn below $125,000 will get $10,000 in debt cancellation. If they are married and filing taxes jointly, uh, they will qualify um, if their income is below $250,000. If you are a Pell Grant recipient and you meet these same income requirements, you could get up to $20,000 in debt cancellation, but only federal student loans qualify. You can qualify if you didn't graduate from college. If you are a current student, you also qualify, but if you are a dependent, um, then it's based on that person's income. The pause on monthly student loan payments has also been extended until December 31st after the midterms, with President Biden stating clearly this would be the last extension on the pause. Biden's plan also reduces payments on undergraduate loans to 5% of discretionary income rather than the 10 to 15% that it's currently at in many existing plans, which is a huge deal. The rule would raise the amount of income that is considered non-discretionary income and therefore is protected from repayment, guaranteeing that no borrower earning under 225% of the federal poverty level, about the annual equivalent of a $15 minimum wage for a single borrower, will have to make a monthly payment. Forgive loan balances after 10 years of payments instead of 20 years for borrowers with loan balances of $12,000 or less, covering the borrower's unpaid monthly interest so that unlike other existing income-driven repayment plans, no borrower's loan balance will grow as long as they make their monthly payments, even when that monthly payment is $0 because their income is low. So, Terrell, a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff. A highly anticipated Student loan forgiveness plan from the Biden-Harris administration is finally here, and I'm happy. Look, I knew it was going to come around this time. Yeah, I mean, we all did. I mean, midterms are coming up. It makes sense. I am a little disappointed that the White House is not exploring continuing um, the forbearance after December 31st, but that's just because I, I genuinely don't think anyone should have to pay interest on student loans. That's a whole other side. Um, but I, I don't think it can be understated just how much of an impact this is having on hardworking Americans across this country. According to Politico, nearly one third of borrowers owe less than 10,000 student loans. That's roughly 14.6 million Americans are being directly impacted and could potentially have their entire loans wiped away by this one policy. Um, the president estimates that this move will have an impact of over 43 million people with, um, as I mentioned, that 14 to 20 million um, individuals seeing their debt wiped out. It This is such a monumentous moment and historical too. Historical. It's a recognition that these loans are predatory. They harp on our most vulnerable individuals who for years were taught you have to go to college you have to get a degree if you want to do anything in this country if you want to be successful if you want to have a house if you want to get away from home and we were talking about this offline i can't help but just think about sitting in front of the computer as both of my parents are over my shoulder both of them didn't actually have to apply for loans because when they went to college college was more affordable Um, and one of them didn't go to college 
But as they're asking me questions of, well, what are you supposed to do here? And what are you supposed to do there? And me as an 18 year old sharing, I don't know. I I'm just clicking and filling out what it tells me to do because this is what everyone said I need to do to go to college. And then getting to that section where it asks, well, what are you, what are you going to school for? What is your plan? And selecting that I want to be an attorney and them pulling up what my expected income would be after completing college, after completing grad school, and using that as a metric to determine how much I deserved in loans and what I needed to move forward. These loans are predatory. They are disruptive to a generation that has just been trying to do as they're told to make ends meet and succeed. Um, so I can't help but be happy about this. I mean, I feel the same way. Look, like I am fortunate. I didn't have any loans, but at the same time, higher education is kind of ran like a business. Like obviously, obviously a higher education, like needs to pay the bills to keep buildings up or expand or pay teachers and whatnot. And I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Um, I'm not an expert in the education sphere. But the problem is, is, is like if we want a country where we're educated and we're leading the globe, like we tout how America is the greatest and like the greatest country on earth or whatever, and we're, we're trying to be a global leader, we have to have an educated base. And why are we making it difficult? Why are we suffocating people for trying to get an education? Um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I don't have a lot of thoughts at the moment in terms of our, our capitalist society. Hmm. And that's a whole other conversation for another time. Genuinely. And I'm not super interested in getting into that right now, but I think that like, I think this decision is the right decision. You know, I like the Biden administration sees that there are that student that student loan issue is a huge issue. It's affecting millions of Americans. There are people who, even when they're making payments, the interest is growing so high that they will never repay it in their lifetime. Yep. Never repay it. And, and these are the only loans that can follow you through death, i.e. your family will have to pay them even if you die before repaying them. And that's like that's like such a huge issue because we're trying to have an educated society, correct? Like why are we making it so even when you're educated, you can't thrive? Why are we making it like a system so broken that we believe from a young age that we have to go to college to make it in this world only to get out of college with the weight and burden of thousands and thousands of dollars of student debt? Like, that also counts to your credit score. Sorry. There's just a lot of caveats that are important to mention here. Yeah. Because I think so many people are trying to pretend like this is a handout. And I know we're probably going to get into criticisms, but so many people try to pretend that this is a handout or for some reason, this is how Americans learn how to be more financially capable. And it's just such a fucking fallacy. It There's no other debt that you can't file for bankruptcy for, that you you pass away and your family have to deal with. There's no other debt that the minimum payment is superseded by its interest that it will make it so you never actually pay that while you're trying to worry about paying for housing and food and basic living needs. There's no other payment that is targeted at a workforce that ensures that workforce can never succeed in its country. 
and the frustration I've seen from individuals by saying that either it's not enough or saying it's too much misses the fact that this is impacting 46 million Americans. Name another policy in our time frame that we can say has had that kind of impact. Well, I mean, if we're going to bring up criticisms, <laughs> let's talk about fairness. There's a lot of people that are hey, bringing hey, up- Hey, 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 fairness. You didn't have any student loans. Why Why should I get this <laughs> amazing opportunity? Shouldn't you get like a $10,000 tax credit now? Or if you want to talk about fairness, what about the people who didn't go to school? I want- They'd made the right choice. Why? Why do they not get money? I want to talk about fairness because there's a lot of people out here that are pissed off, even though this was- we saw this coming like yeah, a year it was written and a half on the ago. Wall. Like, come on. But like so many people are are angry. Oh, it's not fair. Oh, I feel like I deserve, yeah, ten or twenty thousand dollars or whatever and yeah. some kind of forgiveness, you know, whatnot. Of course, a lot of Republicans screaming that are uh uh got like hundreds of thousands of dollars in PPP loans fucking forgiven by the federal government. Thank and, you, White House official Twitter. Oh my god, the White House official Twitter account tweeted out how much like they would tweet videos of like marjorie taylor green saying how unfair it was and then say this is how much she got they wouldn't tweet out their video they would quote tweet marjorie taylor green railing against this forgiveness saying that it's unfair saying that the white house is trying to buy votes with a legitimate public record if anyone wanted to prove it they could quote of how much they got forgiven for filing for PPP loans during COVID. And I would just like to point out Marjorie Taylor Greene does not have that big of a business that she needed $500,000 from PPP that was later forgiven as she's a member of Congress who got to vote on that very forgiveness. But I digress. Look, I want to talk about fairness because I think that the numbers have been in front of us for a long time when it comes to this. Millennials have been in a stranglehold from debts, recessions, and whatnot. And student loans are a huge factor in that. When we look at the numbers, millennials only own like 4% of the wealth in the country, which is down 20, 30, 40% from all the previous generations at their current timeline when they were there, like millennials are now. Why is that? Is the economy changing? It might be changing because there's so many recessions and we have actively put them in a stranglehold with all of this debt. Like there is so many statistics about wealth in America and why millennials do not have any of it. And what do you think that's a part of? Now, there's a lot more to it than I think just student debt, but student debt's a huge part of it because when you have these massive loan payments, sometimes over $1,000, sometimes over $2,000 a month, You're not buying a house. You're not buying a car. You're just trying to freaking live. And this was what the American dream promised you. But inflation. Oh, you want to talk about inflation? (laughs) Nobody really knows about that. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. (laughs) Look, like if he canceled like all the debt, I think it probably would have a significant effect. He didn't. While it affects millions of Americans, I also just don't. I'm not an economist, so you don't have to. You can take my words with a grain of salt. But yeah. the way I'm seeing this is that people haven't had to make student loan payments for the last couple of years and they still don't. So now since there's a bunch forgiven, like I think it's going to be a relatively low impact. Yeah. I I mean, we're already we're already in an economy where people had more spending power because they're not paying student loan stuff exactly. for the last year, year and a half, two years. 
why in the more the freaking moratorium lasts until December now? Why? Why would that have? If it has an effect, it's not an immediate one. Yeah, I was going to say if it has an effect, it's not going to be inflation. It's going to lead us to a recession because like no one's paying it right now. You have all of this money being infused. You have all of this money being infused into an economy that will suddenly stop because now you have to be conscious of a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, hell, maybe even five hundred dollars in student loan payments that once was being able being utilized for groceries or Mm -hmm. for you to go out to dinner with friends pieces or things of that nature. So, um, yeah, I, I think the inflation argument too, is just, it's weak an an inability to be aware of the current system. The reason we are not, and we've said this on this podcast a few times, the reason we are not in a worse off situation is a hundred percent because our generation does not have to penny pinch as much i mean we still do but not as much thinking about our student loan payments we have this one burden removed from us that has allowed us to go out to dinner with friends to go out to um movies and go to all of these spaces where workers have been fighting for 15 dollars per hour and not seeing it because the generation has been hindered and i think unfortunately we're about to see a slight downturn yeah, but I'm actually a little bit more concerned that the Fed is bringing us there than anything else. You're not wrong. I mean, and that's their part of their job is to stop inflation. But to do so, I I think if a recession happens, it's probably more of their making than anything. Yeah. And like Which they're are actively talking about. That's the end. Oh yeah, they're super, super aggressive about it. Just look at their meeting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming this past weekend. That cut what, six hundred points from the Dow Jones? Yeah, they're going to continue to be super aggressive and it's like, okay, but I just, inflation is a kind of a weak argument to me right now. Since no one's paying it, I don't think these effects, these effects are going to be lagging anyways. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so then you're going to have people paying it and then what, 20 million people aren't still like, I don't understand how there's going to be a crazy, I don't, I don't understand why inflation would jump almost at all from that personally. Um, and then we'll see because I don't know, December 31st, you never know what happens. Maybe it, it's actually pushed out again. Mm, this is the most forceful I've ever heard. President Biden, Joe Biden, whatever you want to call him. Dark Brandon, dark Brandon. <laughs> um, this is the most forceful I've ever heard him refer to policy. I have very little faith that they are going to extend this yeah, unless well, there you go. Unless Mid-terms, something baby. happens. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a good point. But unless something else happens from a public health standpoint of, um, I mean, CDC has already come out and said the U.S. missed its mark to contain monkeypox. Does does that become a bigger crisis that we have to talk about? Um, We can't pretend like we're out of a pandemic because we very clearly are in one. So I, I do think that there's a solid chance for us to see that. But before we move on too far from criticisms, I don't want our democratic socialists to think that they're being forgotten here. (laughs) He's going to hate you. Uh, That's fine. Um, (laughs) I, is this enough? No, but if we are going to live in a society, if we're going to live in a democracy where we can't celebrate wins like this, where we can't understand what progress looks like, then what's the point? 
um, our fellow co-host Torrance was unable to join us for this podcast, but that was a quote that he mentioned um, that really resonates with that side of the argument. I can't help and I can't ignore or pretend like I haven't seen a lot of so-called progressives coming out against this administration saying it's not enough, saying it's a weak, saying that there needed to be more. And if you want to live in a perpetual state of displeasure, so be it. But understand that in a democracy, there are sometimes going to be compromises and there's sometimes going to be a certain amount of things that you have to do. And also understand that if the president were to unilaterally say that all student loans were um, canceled, not only would it be challenged in court, full transparency, but also it would cause a constitutional crisis. These are legislative bills that have been passed by Congress, the, the group that holds the purse, if you will, and the executive branch is supposed to execute that. Now, they can make policies and shift things to meet the times, but they cannot unilaterally say we are not going to execute or listen to something that Congress has told us we had to do. And any time that they've tried that, ask um, President Andrew Johnson, if you will, it has led to either a president being put up for impeachment or a very lengthy um, Supreme Court hearing that has ruled more than likely not in the executive's favor. So... I just want to make sure that our fellow democratic socialists that are kind of riding the high, but using this as an opportunity to say we deserve better recognizes that they are continually putting democracy in the crosshairs of collapse as they are trying to pretend like this is one of the most progressive administrations we have had in modern time. In legislatively, legislatively successful yeah. administrations. Look, like... Should we push for better? Sure, hundred percent. No problem with win doing me, that. Win me the Senate. Win me the Senate in plus three. Student loans is 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 a symptom of a more of a, a root problem that I think still needs some serious looking at and yeah. probably reform in the future. But at the same time, like something that the executive branch cannot do, we cannot deny that this might be one of the most historically economical decisions that an administration has ever been able to make. Or at least in modern times. In modern times. FDR. I, yes, yes. I, modern times is, is purely what I meant. <laughs> but like, I don't think like, I know that things just kind of float by and everything kind of feels the same, but this really is a big fucking deal. Yeah. You know, and like, again, I have no problem with, with demanding more. I just think that we, like you said, we can't lose sight of the wins that we get. Can we demand more? Yes. This is not an open and shut case. There's a lot more to be done, but this is also a humongous victory. This is huge. It's such a big deal. And so I think that like, yeah, we can't lose sight. Like let's celebrate tonight and then go back to work in the morning. Like that's how it is, right? Like, come on. Progress has never been an all or nothing. It's been a sliding scale. You would have never gotten this under a President Trump. Exactly. This is literally, this is the Even though that was a campaign for. promise of his, just as another point of reflection. Well, guess who actually fulfills their campaign promises, huh? True. Dark Brandon, <laughs> aka President Joe Biden. But progress is never an all or nothing. It is a sliding scale. And the ultimate goal that you can always have is that you do not slide backwards. And this is a great example of my personal frustration with the democratic socialists of the the democratic wing branding themselves as progressives but falling into this trap of purism and tribalism and feeling like everything has to go their way 
Sometimes you have to make a compromise for you to have one of the most productive and efficient Congresses. Did you get everything you wanted? No. But you know what that should encourage you to do? Go to the polls in November and vote for senators and House representatives who are going to carry your interests forward to ensure that a democracy can function. And that's why I think this this criticism is important, because while it might be criticism that's leading towards something that you and I might agree on, I don't want to project on you, but I do agree that we need to do more on student loans. That is not an excuse for individuals not to show up in November or to use that as a a reason for, well, Joe Biden can't be president in four years or these pieces. There is so much more to be talked about than your narrow-minded view. Also, Bernie keeps losing, so stop thinking that he's going to win. So (laughs) let's end on this. A reporter asked Biden uh, if this was fair, and Biden said, quote, an entire generation is now saddled with unsustainable debt in exchange for an attempt, at least at a college degree. The burden is so heavy, even if you graduate, you may not have access to the middle-class life that the college degree once provided. Many people can't qualify for a mortgage to buy a home because of the debt they continue to carry. And we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes and an opportunity to give us feedback, drop comments, and rate us. How about you? Take us on a tangent, Terrell. Even though it's supposed to be what I say. You're only doing this because I went on a tangent just before this episode. So yes. that's fair. And, and I, I wanted to hop onto it. And I appreciate it. Um, I kind of introduced this tangent in the main segment. But I think the Democrats need to have a more robust conversation about what it means to be a progressive versus what it means to be a democratic socialist. And stop equating the Bernie Sanders brand of quote unquote progressivism as what progress is when it really truly is an Elizabeth Warren, a person who buys into capitalism, recognizes that it's not perfect, but understands and sees potential for reform, potential for growth and be a Teddy Roosevelt. He's the one who created progressivism. Um, This is all hindered on Teddy. This is all hindered on TikToks and tweets and conversations, but we democracy cannot survive if we continue on this back and forth about what progressive is and this view that only what Bernie Sanders says, and I will continue to harp on him because I a hundred percent blame him for 2016. If we continue to harp on this idea that, well, whatever Bernie Sanders says has to be the option. It doesn't sometimes truly you can have success when you meet both sides And I just am very frustrated with this idea that Joe Biden isn't progressive enough. We need a new candidate come 2024, but it can't be Kamala Harris because she's a part of the administration. It can't be Pete Buttigieg because God forbid we elect a gay and it can't be this person. (laughs) It has to be Bernie. Like, no, that's just, that's crap. (laughs) He's also, again, lost the primary two times in a row. Well, but it's not a, it's not an all or nothing situation that it's made out to be. Yeah. Like 
if we have Biden for another four years after this, okay. Like, I think we're all forgetting, and we've said this so many times before, but he is one of the most, he is the most progressive in legislatively successful president of the modern era. I mean, there's no getting around that, whether you want him to go farther or not. That's a story we can talk about when we elect more Democrats to do that. <laughs> Understand see how the, your government works. See the theme here? Like, President Biden can't do everything. There's a reason why we have checks and balances. But if you want all the policies you want, like I said before, it's not all or nothing. It's you keep fighting. You celebrate the victories, even if they're small. And then the next day you get up and you start working again. That's how this place works. That's how a democracy works. And so if you want to see more done with student loans, more done with climate change or infrastructure or health care or whatnot, you Insert want big reform. crisis that we're all facing here. Like we got to put in the work to elect people who are going to solve these issues. Yep. And we're actually really close. We have to have a good midterm. Like you have to show up to the polls to get what you want. Yeah. And, and Biden has been a president who will say yes when a Democratic majority in the House and Senate yeah. say, hey, let's do this. And they actually get it done. Like elect more Democrats. That will be the answer. Elect people that you want or believe will work on your behalf, will do all these issues, or at least try to solve these issues. Like that's that's the solution. That's a democracy. And progress isn't all or nothing. Progress, like you said earlier, is like a freaking spectrum. It's like a slide thing. <laughs> <laughs> but also important to that is recognizing exactly what you said. I know there's probably a couple of listeners on here who do not do not identify as a Democrat who don't see themselves as a part of that party or that ideology. It is important that we don't buy into, and I will keep saying this, a tribalistic mindset. You cannot be a Democrat, but agree with a lot of their policies over the other. And that should be enough to make you want to vote. That should be enough to get you out to the polls and support specific candidates. It does not have to continue to be this Democrat versus Republican issue. I know, as I'm saying this, there's multiple individuals who are contemplating a third party run. We have Andrew Yang, who started his own party. Jesus Christ. We should talk about that sometime. That's no, we shouldn't. Um, yeah, it's dumb. Right. He just it might be a tangent worthy, and that's about it. He doesn't deserve the airspace that we're giving him right now. God, the article he wrote was so ignorant I, and bad. Yeah. It was just one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Anyways, but New York this, Times opinion article from Andrew Yang. Terrible. But this is the point, right, of when you buy into these tribalistic mindsets, you allow for these third parties to come up and try to buy you, not because of their policies, not because of what they're going to do, just because they're an other. And it's very, very critical that we have a more robust conversation that for the last 20 plus years, neither the Republican or Democratic Party have been a single party. They have been a caucus. They have been a caucus of progressives, a, a caucus of democratic socialists, a caucus of social independence. And from the right, they have been a caucus, a caucus of neo-fascists, um, <laughs> nationalists, extremists, but also fiscal conservatives, war hawks. And they like to have tea parties for some reason. Eh, I don't even <laughs> want to get started with that. But it's important to dive in and understand those pieces because even within the parties, even within the Republican Party, they are not always in agreement. But because they buy into a tribal mindset, they will always be lockstep with one another. And where the Democrats suffer is 
we don't buy into a tribal mindset, but we also don't understand how we can coalesce and work together to move for progress. And when I think you break those down, you recognize that actually the Democratic Party, the the Republican Party could be their own separated space outs. And we could be a, a state that operates um, in a multi-party system. And once we build into these factors and people become more educated on how to be thoughtful in their elections, I think we can see greater success. What do you have to add, Caleb? Honestly, Terrell, I think you said it really well. I I agree with you. I like look, if you're someone who's like, hey, you know what? I don't agree with Democrats, but what I do agree on is doing something more about climate change or maybe doing something more about infrastructure, for instance. The people who have gotten it done are Democrats and you don't have to agree with every single policy, but you should vote for people that you agree with the most or that will get the things done that you want to be done in this country. And like, if that's a Democrat, then it is, you know, like I think that's, I don't, I don't even know if you have to think about it like Democrat and Republican. I think you should vote for the person that you want that will most likely uh, do what you want them to do when it comes to legislation and, and advocacy and whatnot. And like, you know, for us, it's been the democratic party for the most part. And like, Again, like Democrats, I don't know, Democrats piss me off half the time. But, you know, as you as regular listeners know, I'm a big climate change guy. Democrats are the people getting that done right now. So, yeah, I'm going to vote for people who are going to support climate change. You know, that's just how I see issues and how I see uh, who to vote for and whatnot. Um, That's just an example. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why I vote for Democrats over Republicans today. But Terrell, I, would hope I so. agree with you. And look, I think that's a good place to end our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. Peace.